This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with him, Pete George, and me, Chris Hall. Well, it's been another another very depressing week as a West Bromwich Albion supporter. Not only have we still not got a manager, um, we haven't got any more points on the board. Two defeats in a week to Bristol City and Millwall. Yet somehow the defeats, Pete, only seem to be the tip of the iceberg at the moment. At the moment. Rumours swirling round of all sorts of financial woes. Um, we don't really know the long and short of those at this moment in time, but we will try and discuss the wider state of the club as best we can. Um, as I say, no manager in, although very strong rumours at time of recording, which is Monday evening for anybody wondering that Carlos Corberan will be uh, will be the man, uh, possibly our second Carlos in a week. Um, but starting off with the overall state of the club, Pete, and it's just it just doesn't ever really get any better, does it? I mean, we've been saying this for a while. There is no plan. There doesn't seem to be a plan as to what we're doing. You can see that by the managerial candidates that we've that we've bounced around. I mean, look, from what I understand, Carvajal was offered the job. I know there have been conflicting reports to that. And I can only go off you know, what what I what I tell you on this podcast is what I hear, not rock solid in the nose as they like to call themselves on on Twitter. I never purport to be one of those, but I, I speak to people who I trust. And uh, and when they tell me things, that's what, that's what I go with. And what I go with is that, is that Carvajal was offered, uh, was offered the job that we've looked at Jody Morris as well. And we've, uh, we looked at Carlos Corbran. Now in isolation, Pete, I don't necessarily have a problem with any of those three. Corbran worries me a little bit and we'll talk a bit more about why in, in, in a little while, because I'm just not sure his style of play is that conducive to the squad that we have. But what I would say, when you look at the way Carvajal has played at Braga, which is his most recent significant job, we'll we'll leave the one in the UAE where he lasted about as long as Liz Truss. Um, we'll, we'll ignore that one because there's nothing really to glean from that. And then Jody Morris has this reputation for attacking football at youth level. And then you look at Corbran, who has been very set-piece based, very high-pressing. I mean, it just brings us back to what is our plan? What is our identity? Because whilst I respect the fact that Gourlay has gone through more of a process this time, and he, he quite clearly has, because last time it was just ring his mate and hope his mate will take the job, which he did. He hasn't done that this time. He has clearly gone through a series of managerial candidates, but he hasn't gone into it with any clear picture of what type of manager he wants. And you can see, because you can see that from the candidates that he's looked at, because they're all so different. Yeah. And, um, well, last week we had something positive to talk about. I thought it was going to be the start of a, a promising trend, but I mean, we're back to 
back to the uh, the usual negativity around Albion. And um, yeah, it's kind of this, a similar story that when appointing a manager, we're not we've not got any pattern, any long term uh, vision for the style of play that we want to play, and it's it's kind of just um, switching between one style and another, and that's kind of showing in in us not really knowing who exactly we want to appoint. We're kind of looking at a mixture of, of styles within the managers, um, and not just, just to say on that, sorry, Pete, just to interrupt, if, if anybody's at home thinking, well, why is that a problem? Like the last style didn't, it didn't work. The problem is that every time you change styles of play, you kind of need to turn the playing squad over, don't you? And that costs a lot of money. Yeah, it does. And I think that may be one of the things that we can be almost thankful for Bruce for is that it wasn't a um, massively polarising style that he had. Obviously, we're very focused he on crosses. Didn't have much of a style, did he? Well, yeah, I suppose that's that's a better way of putting it. To be honest, <laughs> you can't create. I tell you what, he's, the the man's a genius, Pete. You can't create problems with a style if you don't have one. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's it maybe makes the playing squad a bit more um, easy to mould to a style for a new manager to come into. It's not like Ishmael, where he's obviously getting players that very direct, want to press high um, and that sort of stuff. And then someone coming in and wanting to sit deep and or play, um, you know, short passes and and that. It's not a massive switch from one side to the other. Bruce is kind of no styling in the middle. Um, so it's probably easy for another manager to mould that squad. Um, but, but equally, Pete, I mean, I, what, what I would say to just jump in there is that possibly, and I'm not going to sit here and defend Steve Bruce because, you know, he, he didn't show himself to have an awful lot of ideas by the end. But what I would say about in in his defence is that maybe he tried absolutely everything because this squad is so unbalanced that there isn't an answer. Because you look at it at the moment, we're playing fullbacks at centre-half because we've got no centre-backs. We've had no number nine all season uh, other than for 15 minutes at Middlesbrough where DK was on uh, on the pitch. And we've got a bunch of central midfielders who probably other than Taylor Gardner-Hickman are all pretty much the same player. I mean, is there even a solution in this squad, whether it's Bruce, Corberan, Carvajal, whoever is in is in the hot seat? And by the way, I'm not absolving Bruce of any blame here because he must have signed off to a certain degree on these players that came in. But as summer recruitment, as you look at it now, was absolutely atrocious. We blew the budget on Swift and Wallace, by the way, both of whom are very good players. I know Swift has flattered to deceive a little bit for the Albion, but he, he's if you play him right in the right system, he is a very good player, as he showed at Reading. I just feel we haven't utilised him properly or had the players around him to utilise him properly. But to buy Swift and, and Wallace, to spend all the money on them in terms of huge wages, to get your Koslu, who we just didn't need, and then to leave the squad without a recognised number nine who is fit. And there was always a danger DK could get injured. And you could see if we did, we were completely and utterly screwed. To leave the squad with only three centre-halves. And, you know, now now we're down to one, really, because you can barely play Bartley at, uh, at the moment. With no goalkeeper that's recognisable as a championship standard goalkeeper. No backup at fullback. The squad's a mess. Uh, somebody asked me about it on Twitter, and the way I described it, Pete, is it's like by uh, booking the best venue you possibly can for a party, but leaving no money for decorations, food, drinks, or music. It don't matter how good the venue is; it's going to be a rubbish party, and that's what we, that's what we've organised is a rubbish party. Yeah, we. I think we probably spent too much money on the free transfers that we brought in in, in Swift, Wallace and Yakuzlu. Um Like you say, they're, they're obviously good players, but when we're on such a tight budget, I think you need to be more, you need to spend your money a bit more wisely and, and not just blow all of it on, on three players because they're going to be on high wages um, and they've probably had high signing on fees as well. So despite being free transfers, they're, they're certainly not cheap. Um, but 
I would imagine the majority of the budget would be would have been spent on those three players when there's obviously other areas that need filling. And for me, Yakuzlu wasn't the type of midfielder that we needed. I think we needed someone that was more comfortable on the ball, someone that's going to be able to pass the ball forwards consistently um, and accurately and regularly. Um, Yakuzlu can't do that. He's obviously better at, at breaking up the play. He, he, he can sometimes dribble the ball forward a bit, but still... To be honest, not much, if any, better than Jason Malumbi can. Um, I think he's more of a defensive midfielder that sometimes pulls out a trick that makes him look, it might, you know, deceive and, and make him look better on the ball than he actually is, because he can do little turns and, and touches that are impressive, but you know, that's a really little impact long term. Um, then he's not going to consistently do that and and help to move the ball forward or create chances from it. It's just kind of nice on the eye. So I don't think Yukuzu was the kind of player that we needed, um, and I think that was kind of wasted money there. Um, again, not saying he's a bad player, but just not what we needed at the time. Yeah, that's the thing. We're, we're not criticising any of these, are we? Swift, Wallace, Yukuzu. What, uh, what what we're saying is that you know you can't you can't go and get a number ten that. That that isn't isn't Pereira. He's he's an off he's an off the number nine. If you haven't got a nine for him to play with, you can't go and get a right winger who whose best quality is putting brilliant delivery into the box. Where again, there's no number nine to get on the end of it, and you can't go and get a number eight who, whilst is an excellent defensive midfielder when he's fit, and I don't think he's anywhere near fit at the moment. He's too similar to the other ones that you've got, and and wasn't even remotely what what we needed. It's not a criticism of them. It's it, it, the issue is that what we needed was players around them to make make these players look good. And if we couldn't afford those players, then what we should have done is we should have gone cheaper on alternatives to Swift, Wallace, and Yukoslu, so that we could afford. The nine that we want. I mean, even as silly as it sounds, Pete, Colton Morris has gone to Luton this summer for for, for next to nothing. Like, you, if you don't get Swift, but you do get Colton Morris, how much better does Jed Wallace look this season as a footballer? And I don't think Colton Morris is an amazing player, but he's just he's just would be someone to get on the end of all this. Yeah, I mean, there's other examples as well, of course, isn't there? Like Oscar. A stupinian. I mean, he's quite undowned in recent weeks, but he started the season incredible for Hull. Um, and he gets gets into those areas and gets shots off in really good areas and scores goals from it. So, But even when with Swift, I think we were crying out for a real... Someone like Pereira, who was really creative, could slide passes through and just create from central areas. I mean, from what we've seen, he likes to drift wide. He likes to play off the left and probably isn't that creative as 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 assist tally last year made it look because a lot of them came from corners or free kicks um, or simple passes that weren't really creative and I think we've kind of been deceived there. I think a lot of his attributes. We haven't better. we haven't been deceived though, have we? We just haven't we just haven't researched these people. We went we went with what were the easy options that the guys who number whose numbers stacked up the best in the championship and a guy that had played well for us two seasons ago that that we knew well and then pretty much the rest of them we just got desperate yeah desperate and and lazy to be honest because i don't think it would have taken too much well in fact they're getting paid for that it doesn't matter if it takes work because that is what they're being paid to do the recruitment department to find come up with a list of players that could play that role. And... Don't do lists. We don't do lists. Well, that is very true. We might finally have a list of managers that we've spoken to and have turned us down. But in terms of the recruitment, it, we just it seemed to be we were set on that and we were just going to get, get those deals done. And I think with that mindset, you're obviously going to end up paying a lot of money to, to fight off other clubs that are, are vying for the signature as well. Well, we must have paid some money to have fought off, um, fought off Burnley for Jed Wallace, for example. And as I say, I, you know, look, part of me is, is, is happy that we got Jed Wallace because he's been about the only positive thing in, in our season. But equally, you know, it's, as I say, it's like 
booking the venue and having having no money for the for food, drinks, or entertainment is is buying Jed Wallace because whilst he looks lovely out on the, uh, on that right hand side and he works his backside off, and you know I fully appreciate the player that he is, he's doing us no good because he's got no, he's got nothing to nothing to hit in the middle. And the other thing, Pete, and just you know we're just going to sit here and bash the the recruitment for a bit because because it has to be said, Ian Pierce. A completely pointless human being as far as our football club goes. I don't know what he does. I don't, uh, I mean, it, it, it doesn't even seem like he's had, uh, it, for what little he does, he doesn't even seem to have had a hand in our recruitment because as the Elias Burke article highlighted, most of the, the links came from Bruce and Gourlay. So I don't even know where, where, where Pierce's fingerprints are on, on our, on any of our recruitment over the summer. But Bruce and Gourlay haven't had a plan at all in recruiting these uh, these players they've just gone and got some nice players in whose numbers stack up i mean it's 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 I, this would be amateur hour for somebody playing football manager for the first time let alone real life with real life money and then on top of that you then go and get i mean let's just put park swift and wallace for a moment you've gone and blown the budget on them and you've realized there's nothing left pretty much. So then you've had to go into the free market and you've ended up getting okay Koslu who is not fit. Celta uh, Vigo have had him out in in the cold for 12 months or so and he's not fit. You've brought in Martin Kelly who hasn't played for 2 years. You've brought in Eric Peters, who hasn't had a preseason. You've brought in Tom Rogic, who hasn't had a preseason. You know, I mean, you've ended up, Pete, not only with, uh, besides the two that we've we've got in on big money, you've then ended up with four or five players who aren't fit going into the most intense championship campaign there has probably ever been because the World Cup condenses the first part of it into such a short period of time. You've got what? four or five players there who aren't fit. And again, it's a lack of planning, isn't it? Because you're bringing in players late who aren't fit for a very busy period of the season. Um, and that just kind of comes back to the lack of planning. And you, yeah, I mean, you're talking about Jed Wallace, but obviously it couldn't have happened because of the relationship between them. Well, the relationship between Bruce and Andy Carroll. But if we could have got Andy Carroll back in, I think Wallace would have been looking at double the amount of assists he's already got because he's just got that target to hit in the middle. Um, Bruce is probably relying on DK being being able to to get on the end of crosses, both with his head and, and with his movement. Um, and I think we kind of failed to react to, to his injury as well. So... Yeah, I'm and that was so- that was the other crazy thing, Pete, that we moved out Moet and Robinson, saying that we were doing this to get a number nine, and then never got a number nine. Yeah, I mean we got we got Thomas Asante, I suppose, but he's what two hundred fifty thousand from. I like him, but he's not he's not an out and out nine, and he's nowhere near experienced to play at this uh, at at this level. You you see from some of his stuff that he's, and it's not fair to put that expectation on him. He's a League Two kid learning the league. He's going to be a good player, um, whether he's quite the level we want him to be in the future I don't know but you cannot put the goal scoring expectation on him and he's he's not a number nine I mean he's largely played wide for Salford before before this season hasn't he yeah I mean he's looked I think he's looked decent in terms of getting into good positions to score goals um but yeah it's it's a massive weight on his shoulders to be relied upon for the main goal scoring threat of a championship team when he's been playing been playing B two is it? Um yeah, I think we'd prefer to react react to DK getting injured and just have brought in brought in a lead two player that's relatively cheap. Obviously Bruce knows for various reasons and it's just kind of that. Um I think a, a well run club would have had well, a well run club would would have definitely had a, a short list of players of strikers that they've been tracking in the past, even if they weren't going to sign him in the summer. But when that DK injury comes in, you can maybe go back to that list and see, okay, is anyone available? Can we do a deal for any of these? Because we've been tracking them for a while. We know all about them. We know they fit the kind of style that we want to play. So is is there a deal to be done now that we know that we need one of them? Because DK's out injured. But 
that's just n- nothing that we can expect from Albion at the minute. It's just very, very poorly run. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and on top of that, Pete, you've got all these financial rumours swirling around. Now, look, we want to make it very, very clear on this podcast that we don't what what we don't normally deal in is is speculation and uh, and it is speculation at this point as to Albion's financial state however when you start hearing words like administration kicked around by some people first of all you start to panic for fairly obvious reasons but secondly you start you start to look at what we've actually done and where we are in terms of a financial state. And you can understand why people are starting to worry about the financial stability of our football club. As I say, without seeing the next set of finances, because obviously the last the last set we saw were, uh, were for the Premier League season. So, you know, we, 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 we're, we're obviously a little bit behind in terms of seeing where we are in a financial uh, sense. But you can see why there's cause for concern, because we're still paying a lot of players who came down from the Premier League. Now, I'm pretty sure that most, if not all of them, had some flex down in their contract. So probably on like half the wages that they were in, on the Premier, in the Premier League. But nonetheless, we'll there will be a lot of players on good wages coming down from from the Premier League. Now, at the end of this season, yes, we, unless, of course, we were to give them another deal, which I can't imagine for the life of me we would, we say goodbye to Ken Zahor, Kyle Bartley, Jake Livermore, which is quite a lot of money off, off the books. But to think that that, given that we completely lose the parachute payments at the end of this season, you've You've got to, you know, you've got to look and say, actually, there's still a lot to worry about there because Grady Dingana will be on cracking money. He's still earning. You've still, you've still got a good, I think, three years left on Carlin Grant. I think I'm right in saying he will be on good money. I mean, we're led to believe Adam Reach is on good money. Matt Phillips has got has got another year as well. Then you've got the, the two from the summer, um, Wallace and Swift. Now I. I, I, from what I understand, I think Jed Wallace is probably the best paid player in the uh, in the squad. He'll have another couple of years on his deal as well. In fact, in fact, I think we may have given him a four year deal. I could be wrong on that one. Um, in fact, I'm sure I'm sure we gave him a four year deal. You've got Okay Koslu. Now he won't be, he won't be on small amounts of money. And suddenly, when you start looking at at those and thinking, if and I am slightly guessing here because obviously players' wages are not public knowledge. So you have to go on the information you can get and you pick stuff up from Football Manager and things like that. If those players are all on £20,000 a week plus, first of all, how do you afford that with no parachute payments? If we were to go down to League One, seriously, how do you afford that? Then you add into the fact that we still owe £7.5 on Carl and Grant uh, in three more two and a half million pound per year payments. We probably owe money on Grady Dean Garner. I don't know that for sure, but I'm, I would imagine his, his transfer fee was broken down over, uh, over a series of a, a few years as well. I mean, Pete, when you start breaking it down and God only knows how much we're paying out to all the managers we've sacked. Plus, You've got the, the the owner owing the club up to about twelve million quid. Now, when you start taking all of that out, and you start hearing rumours of financial instability and people using the word administration, not a word we're using, but a word that we are hearing others using, Pete, you can understand why there's concern because. As soon as you start adding up the players who are still going to have years on their contract and what they're probably earning, plus the amortised payments in transfer fees that we owe on, definitely owe on Grant because we know what that one was, probably owe on on Dean Garner, and add the loan on top of that, which okay we've been promised we'll get back, but we'll we'll believe it when we see it. It's blooming terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, especially when you consider the. The rumours of the loan being paid back are through a dividend, so the club won't actually receive any cash. It'll just be 
Yeah, can you just, because you understand this a lot better than I do, can you just explain for anybody who doesn't quite know what, if, and this is an if, I'd like to clarify that, if that was the way that Lai was to pay pay the loan back, what does that actually mean? Well, to my understanding, it would be that the the club basically writes off their part of it and the independent shareholders would probably get a a cash sum, but because it's it's lie that's been or whoever the owner is, is being paid the dividend, but they wouldn't actually pay that as cash, it would just be writing it off because he's paying it to himself. So I think the independent shareholders would potentially get their I'm not sure it's a small percent of the club owned by independent shareholders um but that small percent would be the percentage of the loan i think and they would potentially receive that as cash but i think so they've... in effect it wouldn't swell the club's coffers no not at all um if that's what is going to happen is i think it's just basically a bit of it's just paperwork really and and no cash apart from to independent shareholders actually moves around um that's to the best of my understanding and that is, if that's how it's going to be paid, I think that's just a rumour at the minute. So, um, But if that is the case, we won't see any increase to our transfer budget come January and we won't be in a better financial position because of it. Only, um, only Lai will be. I mean, can regardless, can you even can you even look at increasing the... Tra- or not, not increasing, actually offering some money for transfers in January whilst we're in this situation? Because the problem is... Anybody you sign on championship wages could be a League One player next season. And as we say, we're we're already tied to a lot of contracts that even the top clubs in in League One, like your Ipswiches and your Derbies. I think Derbies um, uh, Derbies um, uh, Derby have got a cap, but I think even your top, uh, but it's, the cap's pretty high. It really doesn't, it doesn't actually make any difference. I think it's something daft like 18 grand a week, which you wouldn't pay in League One anyway. But your, your top, top League One clubs, your biggest spending League One clubs, you're talking eight to ten thousand pounds a week. Now, we're, 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 we've got players. We've got, pla- I, I, I'm pretty sure that Jed Wallace will be on somewhere like three times that. And I'm telling you right now, there won't, there, there will not be a clause in this contract for if we went down to League One. I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong, but I can't imagine for one second that when signing these players, anybody has even conceived of the idea that we would co- possibly go to League One. So we could, we could end up with a top half wage bill for the championship in League One. Yeah. And I always think. The reason for the parachute payments that you receive when you get relegated from the Premier League is to kind of taper down your Premier League earning players. Um, so hence why on the third year the, the parachute payments go down or if you've not been in the Premier League for, for I think it's two seasons, you don't even receive that third year because you're meant to be slowly decreasing your wage bill to a championship standard. So it's not just a massive shock from you playing in the Premier League and you've got Premier League earning players, and then you, you're down in the Championship, and you've got a Championship budget, and you've got no way of affording them. It gives you a couple of years to kind of get down to that Championship budget. But obviously, a lot of clubs just use that extra um, extra money on top of what a, a long-term Championship club has as a way of trying to really push for promotion again and gambling on... It's muscle, getting... isn't it? It's muscle. Yeah, and it's a gamble. It's, I think clubs basically almost always use it in the wrong way because if that gamble goes wrong then then you're in big you're in big trouble because you've got you're still basically operating on a a Premier League wage budget come the end of the two or three years however long you've got the parachute payments for but you you're no longer getting those parachute payments so you you really can't afford that Premier League budget um and I fear that's the way that we've heading we're heading after the signings of people like Swift and and Jed Wallace and Yakuzlu, who are going to be big earners. Um, I think last summer, the summer, summer transfer window just gone, was kind of a chance for us to still bring players in, but on, on players that are going to be on championship level wages that we're going to be able to afford long-term without having to gamble on getting promotion this year. Obviously, we're losing a few 
um, presumably high owners at the end of the season, they're out of contract, like Livermore, Zahor and, and Bartley. But, I mean, I'm sure we've matched that by bringing in Swift, Wallace and, and Yukuzlu. I'm sure they're on, on similar wages, if not higher. So we're not actually... And, and you've also it. got to compensate for the, for the absence of the parachute payment. Exactly. So this season should have been a chance to reduce the, the wage budget. Um, but instead, I'd be surprised if it has reduced much come next summer than it was the summer just gone. So, well, certainly not enough anyway to compensate for the lack of uh, the lack of income. No, absolutely, um, and that's that's where it becomes a big concern because if it hasn't decreased enough, then we are a championship. We've got a championship amount of money, but we're still trying to operate on a Premier League. Wage budget. Well, and that's a best case scenario, by the way, because let, let's just be clear about this. What you're saying is that if with 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 all these players in and with amortized payments to to still pay on the likes of Grant and possibly even the uh, the, the likes of Grady D and Garner, that we're in trouble if we're in the championship. But we're twenty we're twenty third in the league, Pete. We could be in League One. I mean, if we're if we're in trouble. In the championship, what are we if we're in League One? Well, if we're in League One, then without knowing the the details of the accounts, I I would struggle to see a way that the club would survive without it being propped up by the owner. Which, as we all know, if if lies, or by owner, going into administration, yeah. And I mean, with lies, the owner, you know, it's not going to be propped up or financed by him for a year or whatever it it would take to try and get our League One. So. If we do get relegated, then yeah, for me it's it looks to be very very worrying as a club. Yeah, and and that's and and that's the thing because I've seen some people saying, oh, you know, if we go down to League One, almost use it like a like a reset. But somebody somebody has got to cover the deficit in money if you go down to League One because you still you the the contracts that you signed are legally binding documents they are commitments to players that you have to pay them that money over that period of the uh, period of time there is not a choice in that and unless you can sell them on and that would become a become a struggle because there's whilst the likes of Wallace and Swift and people like that are good players there's only so many clubs that can afford them on the wages uh, that they're on. So you'd have trouble selling them. Carl and Grant, you cannot sell because you still owe seven and a half million on him anyway. So how would uh, you, you, you you basically, if you sold Carl and Grant, you wouldn't get anywhere near that. You'd still end up paying for him for, for three more years without him even being at the club, which is utterly, utterly ludicrous. Probably the same is true on Grady D and Garner. We don't really know. But even so, again, he would be another one that that, uh, that that you'd struggle with. And I tell you what, if okay, your Koslu can't prove his fitness. If um, I mean, forget about Matt Phillips. You're not selling him. There's no, there's absolutely, absolutely no way on that. And then you know, you've got people like Darnell Furlong and, and Connor Townsend who were given new contracts. What twelve months ago, Pete? How much are they on? I mean, we don't know the answer to these questions, but it's it's genuinely it's genuinely quite it's 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 really really scary at the moment, isn't it? I, and I'm I'm terrified for for the future of this club. I think we're in trouble one way or another. Like if we stay in this division, I think I, th- I think we're we're in we're in trouble. And I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we ended up in a situation where where, where we find ourselves being yet another championship club that gets a points deduction but if if we go down I, I don't even I don't even want to think about what might happen there needs to be a massive change um from people from the the suits if you like obviously there's a lot of players that we need moving in and out but people like the CEO Ron Gawley recruitment head of recruitment Ian Pierce, um but but also surely lies just got to get some sort of a handle on his investment because as much Pete as much as I I despise Ron Gourlay and I do genuinely dis- despise him at this point because I feel like he's running my club into the ground in the tiniest bit of defence that I am ever going to give Ron Gourlay here mark this in your calendar as a red letter day this mess started long before him and it hasn't just been Ron Gourlay it's been Gourlay. 
Luke, Luke Dowling, all all these sorts of people. The, it, it's just been mismanagement, really, since the day Lie took the club. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what I mean. We need to ha- get people in in those kind of roles, those high up roles that have got a plan and understand what a football club needs and and have the right ideas, progressive ideas of trying to um, just recruit smarter, spending money smarter, actually plan long-term so you don't get into situations where you swap in styles of manager every season, every season and a half. Um, you don't get into situations where you're signing players on long-term deals on high wages that you're not going to be able to afford in a year's time. Um, and it just needs some serious long-term thinking and planning and people that, for example, the recruitment department, people that are going to set up a good scouting network, um, set up a good, use data in the right way um, and just broaden the the search of players that you're looking at and actually do some work on scouting those players and um, getting to know the players so that you do have a shortlist so that come to the transfer, you get to the transfer window and you, you know who you want. Um, and if you do need an emergency transfer like we did when DK got injured, you've still got that list to, to get back to. Um, and it's just long-term planning that we really don't seem to have. And we desperately need that more than, I think that's more important than a new manager is because that is what's going to get us out of the mess long-term. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, 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 you know, we need that structure. Gourlay's got to go. Uh, you know, he's not doing this club any good. But like I say, the the mess started, the rot set in long, long before before him. But we we need some sort of football structure. And we need we need a plan. We need a troubleshooter at this point. I mean, if you if you want for me, Pete, the best example of zero planning, and this is one player that we haven't uh, haven't mentioned who is a financial weight around uh, around our neck because he's not with the club at the moment. And it's Alex Mowat because you go and get Alex Mowat, who was the man that Val wanted to lead his midfield. And you stick him on a long-term deal and you probably stick him on pretty decent wages as well. And then after six months, you sack the guy that you bought him for and you don't want him anymore, but you can't get rid of him because nobody else particularly wants him, certainly not enough to pay a fee for him. And then you're stuck with, with with the guy on a contract. And if again, whatever division we're in next season, Alex Mowat's probably coming back, isn't he? And it, I, I just feel like this is not having a go at Alex Mowat, by the way. It's nothing against him. But I feel like his his existence in this in West Bromwich Albion Football Club just epitomises all the lack of planning that we've done. Because we go and sign this guy that one man wants, we stick the manager on a four-year contract, we stick the player on a long-term contract, and then we bin off the manager and we can't get rid of the player. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think we kind of, I mean, we didn't back him too strongly because I'm not sure he actually spent anything on transfer fees, but when Ishmael came in, he he definitely feel like he led the recruitment. Um, he brought in the kind of players that he wanted, uh, Mo obviously, DK. Um, well, they wanted him in the summer, but could only get him in in January. Even Adam Reach, who I think was actually a very good uh, wing back and suited that style. Um, but now we've got him, and again, presumably on decent wages, but he doesn't really fit in anywhere. It was kind of a specialist signing for for Ishmael, um, and they're the issues that that come about when you when you give the manager the, the reins to the the transfer strategy as well. Um, and I think similar to, to what we saw this summer under Bruce, and I think Gourlay supported him there a bit more as well, but it was kind of just players that he wanted, he knew, um, or had a connection with. It's not it's not a, a centralised brain, if you like, of the club, where we know what style we're going to be looking to play for the next five, ten years. So we're going to tell the recruitment department to, to find players that fit that style and fit the, the way that we want to play. And then you bring in a manager that you can, that can work with those players. It's, it's just each manager signs the players they want. And then the next manager has a completely different style. So they have to try and get rid of some of those players, which obviously is not easy. And then they 
bring in their own players and, you know, then repeat that. So it's, I mean, I've probably said it a hundred times already today, but it's just a lack of long-term plan. And the rumour is the next manager will be Carlos Corberan. Uh, tweets from Guillaume Balaguer as well, um, bestowing his virtues. And, you know, I feel for Corberan or anybody that sits in our hot seat at the moment. I'm certainly not... I'm never going to, uh, I'm not going to have a go at Carlos Corbran or any, anybody else. Um, because I honestly think we're in a situation where I wonder whether anybody can succeed in this basket case of, uh, of a football club. But Pete, looking at Corbran, if he is to be the man, what can, what can we expect from Carlos Corbran? Obviously his Huddersfield side did very, very well last season. I have to say, from what I saw of them and from what I've looked at on the uh, on the data, whilst they actually scored quite a lot of goals, I thought they were fairly pragmatic in their style. It, set pieces were very very big for them. Um, it was it was a lot of balls into the into the box. Um, Sorba Thomas, obviously a huge part of the way that they played, but they were solid at the back as well. They didn't, they didn't let, they didn't let too many in. So they were good at both ends of the pitch, but I felt like it was, it was, it was intensity. Um, I think the best way, I, I feel like it was almost Val light to a certain degree. Is that unfair or is that how, is that how you look at Corbran's, uh, Corbran's style? Well, with being a disciple of Bielsa, is he's, quite often referred to. I was, um, and to be honest, I didn't watch too much Huddersfield last season. I was expecting um, him them to be a really high-pressing side. But when I look at the numbers, it, it massively co- contradicts that. They had the, the highest passes per defensive action, which is basically the least aggressive press. So it was almost as if they were sitting off teams. Um, and... I looked at ch- challenge intensity as well, which looks at the number of, of tackles, duels, um, per minute of opposition possession, so a very similar metric. And that says the same thing, that they were basically the least aggressive in their press, which, I mean, that's really surprised me. And I I wonder if it's a case of him being adaptable um, and kind of working with what he had at, at Huddersfield. It wasn't the youngest squad, um, similar to what we've got at the minute. They did move the wrap the ball around relatively quickly. Um and I mean the overall numbers in terms of goals and expected goals are, are pretty good and similarly against, which is basically very promising. Um but yeah, set pieces were a big one with Sober Thomas. I think he got quite a high number of assists. He obviously had a very good season last season, but I think quite a high number of those assists actually came from uh corners, which they were very good at, which if that's a um, product of the coaching and the coaching staff and Corbran, then um, I mean that's potentially repeatable, which is is also <laughs> he'll, good. He'll have to work miracles with our lot, Pete. We had thirteen corners against Bristol City. I don't think we got the first contact on any of them. No, but that is true. But you know, if a, it really depends what we're working with at the minute. If we uh, will, we be working on on set piece routines when we've got an interim manager in. The caretaker manager and, and no, but we've been we've been bad on uh, at them for for a while now. In fact, uh, we 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 did we had a we had a tweet um dur- uh, during uh, during the week actually ask, uh, asking us to asking us to look at to look at this very thing and and to um yeah the uh, Craig McLeod um, uh, at Portland Baggy, thank you very much for your tweet. Said on the next episode, could we get an insight in, into how productive our crosses have been from uh, from open play? And then he went on. Uh, went on to say and don't even get me started on on set pieces so all all i'm saying you know and i mean you've got you've got the sort of data around you pete but all all i'm kind of asking here really is um if corbrand's style of play is around putting balls into the box he's going to have to really alter this Albion side because at the moment to my eyes and tell me if the data says otherwise I think our balls into the box or our product I'm not necessarily saying the balls into the box themselves are are, are bad but whether it's the play uh, whether we're not attacking them vigorously enough or what it is our productivity off them seems to be seems to be really really poor yeah I think I mean in general we're quite good off the second and third balls off 
the corners and set pieces and we kind of create chances there against maybe an unsettled defence. Um, but yeah, the initial the initial ball, attacking that and creating from that, um, I'd say we have been we have been pretty poor. Um, I'm just looking at the the data now for Huddersfield last season and they were actually quite low to mid table for the number of crosses they put in per ninety. So it's kind of that's interesting for a team that was that was so good in the air from set piece. I mean, obviously, some of their centre centre halves are, um, are absolutely gigantic. I mean, Saar is an absolute monster, and I can understand why they're more of a threat when he comes up from the back than uh, than, than not. But it's but it's interesting that they didn't sling a lot of balls in towards, for example, Danny Ward. Yeah, I mean, last season Albion had the highest number of crosses per ninety, and that was eighteen point seven. Huddersfield had 11.95 so about six and a half per game less than, than Albion but they were they were more accurate with those crosses slightly more accurate um, but that's probably down to the quality of Sorber Thomas yeah which kind of makes it interesting as well when it, you link it back to the set pieces that they were so good on set pieces I wonder if that is kind of a product of um, preparation from the coaches and working on those set piece routines that they they were so good from that which if so it is, maybe then... so maybe they don't necessarily need to be that much better at heading the ball particularly or have that much more height it's just they they're so meticulous in the way that they they plan their set plays yeah um could definitely be the case and if that is the case then that sounds like it could potentially be put onto our squad and our group of players um if it's more down to preparation and planning and working on those routines than it is by having quality players in the air, then it's something that can be replicated with our squad maybe and hopefully. But I think it will be an interesting one to see there. I think one thing that you also said um, it was was interesting, Pete, was you. I think you called him an adaptable coach, uh, Carlos Corbran, and I, I and I think I'm I think I'm right in saying that that was uh, that was a line in in what um, in what Guillaume Balaguer uh, said um, said earlier today. So if that if that's the truth, um, then I think it's an interesting one because. I, I said this around. I've said this around Sean Dyche to a number of people that that when people say, "Oh, well, I wouldn't want Dyche because of his style of play," I've always said, "Well, Dyche has quite openly said in a number of in a number of interviews that he played the way he played at Burnley out of necessity because they had the smallest budget in the league and therefore he had to play a certain way to get results." Now, if Corbran is indeed an adaptable coach, then whilst his set pieces you know his preparation for set pieces probably won't drop off any because it's obviously been a profitable route for him the way he actually plays in open play hopefully if he sees the albion squad as quite different to the huddersfield squad and i would imagine that he would do because it is quite different in terms of its qualities and also in terms of where we are sadly sadly lacking you would hope that he if he's an intelligent enough coach and it seems like seems like he is that he could come up with with a solution for that squad. I suppose the only concern is that with Huddersfield, it seemed to take about twelve months for him to come up with that solution because they obviously nearly got relegated in the first season, and he he hasn't got twelve months here, has he? No, he he doesn't. Um, but yeah, from what I understand, it seems like he, he could be adaptable because, as I mentioned earlier, I thought it'd be a similar style um, off the ball as Bielsa in that really intense press, but his Huddersfield numbers suggest otherwise. Um, in possession, the numbers seem to suggest that they're definitely not long ball. They like to move the ball around quickly. Did. This is talking about Huddersfield last season. They liked to move the ball around quickly um, and keep it kind of on the floor. And I think they used carries to move the ball forward. They dribbles more than passes, which again could just be adapting to the players they had. Obviously, they had Lewis O'Brien, who was very good at dribbling the ball forward. Um, so, potentially adapted the system to to kind of work around that as their main form of progression. Um, I mean, we've got Malumbu, who's decent at carrying the ball forward from midfield. Um, 
Ajay can obviously do it if he's playing as a centre back, but you probably need that cover in place, whether that's from playing three centre backs. Um Taylor. Taylor Gardner Hickman. Yeah, probably probably the best of our midfielders have been able to progress the ball. Um unless you do look at dropping Swift a bit deeper, but if he's adaptable as it seems, um then it's yeah, you'd hope he'd be able to find a solution with the quality of players that we do have to to at least get some results and keep us in the league at the at the very minimum because at the minute I that's got to be guaranteed. that's got to be the aim, hasn't it? At the at, at the moment, I'm, I I I really I hate to say this because up until to be honest, probably probably the last six games where where we've lo- we've now lost four of the last six and took four points from uh, from those last six games. Up until this last six games, I I personally still thought if we can get on a run, playoffs, no reason why we couldn't do that. I'm I'm now really 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 scared that we'll go down. And for me, first and first and foremost, even if this is an absolute car crash of a season all the way through the priority has got to be finish 21st or higher yeah I'm of a similar thought that I mean I'm I'm probably just overly optimistic and dreaming but I still think if we can put a run of games together under a new manager then we do have potential of reaching the playoffs I think the one the one really promising thing is the World Cup break because it's I mean, it almost makes it split into two seasons, doesn't it? Because we're going to have what a whole a whole month, maybe is it a bit more, maybe um, of break, and then come back again. So it's almost like having another preseason um, and having time for the manager to work with the players and and implement his ideas. Um, so having, from what we're hearing, is going to be Corbran in. He's probably thinking he's got. Trying to see us through, get us pick up as many points as we can between now and the the World Cup break starting, and then he can really start to to get things together, get things sorted, get his style of play implemented onto the players. You know, work on routines for set pieces, um, and even in play routines, and then really push on and start picking up some some wins. Hopefully, after after the World Cup break, because um, yeah, hopefully after that we'll we'll be able to see it's. I mean, if it is going to be Carlos Cobran, we'll be able to see that it is Carlos Cobran's Albion playing after the World Cup break. I mean, it, just to clarify, it is quite literally a month because uh, we play our final game at home to Stoke on the 12th of November and then we start again on the 12th of December against Sunderland away. So it is quite literally a month's break. Um, how much of what happens in the second half of the season, presuming, of course, it is the second half of the season before we see him, comes down to whether DK can stay fit for the rest of the season. And I know it annoys some people when we talk about DK like he's the saviour of this football club when we haven't even seen him score a goal for the Albion yet in a a competitive match. We haven't haven't seen him complete a 90 minutes yet in a competitive match. I realise why people feel that you know to overblow dk's importance is silly when he's barely played for us but for me it's not it's not about dk himself it's about what he represents which is a proper number 9 and for me there are two players out injured at the moment dk and ajay where we have we just don't have a center half partnership worthy of the name Daro Shea, I think, has looked absolutely dreadful since um, uh, since Ajayi went out the side. I think he looks exposed without Ajayi alongside him. And we, to be honest, we said on this pod early season that that would happen if 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 Ajayi ever got injured. That we haven't got another centre half who can do what Ajayi does, cover him behind with that pace. So I think Dara's looked a terrible player without Ajayi. I think with Ajayi alongside him, I think he's a more than capable championship centre-half. And then without DK up front, I think Brandon Thomas-Asante has tried manfully, but I'm not sure he's quite at this level yet. Carlin Grant is not a nine. Not in a million years is Carlin Grant a nine, and he shouldn't be playing there. And he looks completely out of his depth there. I can't help but feel even though we've got problems in other areas, 
Palmer obviously didn't cover himself in glory on on the weekend, and I still worry about the goalkeeper spot, even with him in there. He's better than Button, but how much better? That's a question in and of itself. Bartley just does not help himself, does he? You know, gets booed off against Birmingham, comes back. Actually, for what, from in my opinion, had a really, really good game, and then gets himself sent off by being stupid and getting too tight to uh, to Benikafobe and and costs us the game. And now again has just plummeted in the estimation of Albion fans. Whereas I think if he'd actually stayed on the pitch, he'd have come out of that Millwall game with an awful lot of credit. I think you put Ajayi in alongside O'Shea, which is what we saw at the start of the season when we looked pretty solid and those two looked pretty good. And I think you stick DK up front and we're, you know, we actually may well I'm not not saying we're going to challenge or anything silly like that, but I think we can probably comfortably start to pull away from this relegation zone. But, I mean, it's just... It's a finger in the air, isn't it, Pete, at the moment? Because we're talking about two players there who've been injured for a few weeks, and it's completely and utterly blown our season apart. And you just look at it and you think this is all this squad is. It's two injuries away from a massive crisis. It's just, it's so threadbare in so many areas that we we are just, we're just a couple of key players getting injured and you just, you don't know what we'd do because the rest of the squad is, for want of a better word, mediocre, isn't it? Yeah, and even if we did have DK and Ajay back, say Wallace and Diangana get injured at the same time, then, then we're in the same issue that, it's their threadbare, and and we're... yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. There's, there, as you say, there is there's probably DK, Diangana, Wallace, Ajayi. I would say that's that that's that that's probably about it. Maybe Taylor Gardner Hickman actually in this system because he's the only only midfielder who can do anything different. I think any of injury injuries to t- any two of those at the same time, and we are completely stuffed, aren't we? Yep, and that comes down to what we were talking about earlier, recruiting smartly and not using the whole budget on, on say, three players when there's much more areas. There's a lot more areas in the squad that you need to address. Um, and you obviously need you need depth in the squad for a 46-game season, um, especially when some parts of it are going to be so uh, compact with fixtures that you're going to pick up injuries. Any squad's going to pick up injuries, and and that just needs planning for in the in the work going into the preseason and the recruitment. It's a real concern. It's a real concern at the moment. There is still tiny bits of uh, tiny bits of hope, um, and we 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 hope that Carlos Corbran will be announced. I hope uh, I you know as I say, recording this on Monday evening, I would like to think that by the time you get the opportunity to to listen to this, if you are. Um, if if you're not so dedicated as to get straight into it on Monday night, when I when I hope to to be dropping this podcast, I, 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 I really I really hope you'll be listening to it, knowing that Carlos Corbran is the new West Bromwich Albion manager. Because whether or not I think he's the perfect fit, I'm kind of at a point where I don't think it really matters anymore. And I also think, and this is worth acknowledging, I don't think we're a very attractive job, Pete. I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot of people that would that that would touch this job at this moment in time. So just to finish off, first of all, I would like to say a thank you to to Richard Beale for holding the fort. I, I I saw some of the stick he got for the team selection on the weekend I thought was unfair. It wasn't the team I would have picked. But let's remember this is a man who didn't ask for that job. He didn't ask to be asked to step into the interim period. He, 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 I guarantee you, he's not being paid any more money for it either. By the way, he's he's just he's probably just still on his under under twenty one salary. And to be honest, he probably can't. And, and he stepped into it in during one of the most disastrous runs we've probably had since you know Alan Buckley was in charge of the Albion. It's a thankless task. And he's tried a couple of different things. He got it right against Reading. He should have changed the team against Bristol City because there was too many over 30s in there trying to play two games in a week. He didn't. I understand why he got it wrong. 
poor, you know, but that happens. He's he's an inexperienced manager and I feel sorry for the bloke that he's even had to deal with this. And then he's tried to change it around, make a bunch of changes against, uh, against Millwall. And to be honest, he wasn't miles off because we're 1-0 up in that game. Wallace has a good chance to make it too. They get the equaliser through a, a free kick that they shouldn't have been given that was a, a blatant dive. And then Bartley gets him. But even at 1-1, it's not a terrible result away at Millwall. And then Bartley gets himself sent off, which is not Beale's fault at all, because Bartley had to play in that game because he's our best aerial defender. And to be fair, the data backs that up because he cleared more balls with his head than anybody else. But Beale couldn't couldn't account for him getting sent off. So I'd like to thank Richard Beale because I think he's I think he's done a manful job in really difficult circumstances. And to be honest, the bloke probably can't wait to get back to his under 21s role. He pretty much said as much on um, on Radio WM after the, after the game. So, well done Richard for stepping in. You got it right for one game. Okay, it didn't go so well in the other two, but well done to you and I'm pleased I'm pleased you stepped in and and gave it a go. Thank you for that. But we need a new manager in now and Pete, I don't think our options are are abundant and I think at this point if Carlos Corbran is prepared to to take it on I think we have to give him a fair crack of the whip, don't we? I feel what you said there about Richard Beale. And I mean, I think one thing that was quite nice as well was seeing uh, the younger players get getting a couple of minutes here and there, Reyes Cleary making a couple of appearances and obviously Gardner Hickman coming in as the in the heart of midfield. Um, it's always good to see. And I think Gardner, Gardner Hickman repaid his faith there as well. Um, but yeah, there's... There's not going to be a queue of managers um, waiting for us to interview them. I don't think we are a particularly attractive job at the minute. I think I am hopeful with Corbran if we can get him in. He's not so. a bad appointment, even if he's not necessarily the appointment. I don't think, Pete, would it be fair to say he's not the appointment either of us would have made, but neither of us think he's a bad appointment? Is that, is that a fair summation of, of, of where you and I are? It's where I'm at. Is that where you're at? Um, well, he's he's not the appointment I would have made in in a, a fantasy world. Um, I would have gone for Deitch. I've said that quite a few times, but I think that's just completely unrealistic. So no, but I mean, even not in a fantasy world, because I, I personally, my personal opinion is I would have had Schumacher um, and tried to get Juicenip out of out of Plymouth. Now I, I don't know whether that's fantasy or not, but you'd like to think that getting a, a manager out of a club in League One is not is not fun. If it is fantasy, then we, we're in a really depressing state. Yeah, I, I, I think obviously it's quite hard to have the opinion on on too many managers because you don't necessarily watch all the teams play. But no, I'd, I'd say I'm, I'm happy with Corbran if he's the man to to come in. Um, I think he's got great reputation in the coaching sense, um, and then he did well with Huddersfield. Um, he seemed to have had not a, not a very easy job working under. Marinakis at Olympiakos. Um, so I think that's a difficult one to, to judge him on. But yeah, I think everyone, has I a, think everyone bar Steve Cooper has a tough time working under Marinakis, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think what's he just sacked a load of his backroom, his recruitment staff or something as well after. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so his, his last two owners are going to have been Marinakis and Lai. Is the guy glutton for punishment or what? He must be. He must like to test himself. So I can only take that as a positive. No, but I mean, overall, I think, look, my, uh, I'm, I'm, if Carlos Corbran comes in and we, you know, I think we hope he does at this point, I think my message to all Albion fans would be quite simple. Let's just give him a chance and let's also be reasonable with our expectations because we are a basket case. This is not a good squad. The, the, finally, the media are starting to cotton on to what we've what we've all been saying all all season. That this, whilst there are some good individual players in this squad, this is not overall a good squad. This is a totally unbalanced squad. It's a squad with you know a couple of nice wingers, a nice player in John Swift who we have no idea what to do with, but no nines. No, no centre halves. 
no cover at fullback, no box-to-box midfielder, really, other than Gardner Hickman, who's given it a really good go in the last couple of games. But there's so many holes in this squad, you could strain tea with it. It's it's beyond ridiculous at this point. So if, if Carlos Corbran does come in, let's just be realistic about what he can achieve, because without a couple of transfer windows and some serious surgery to financially turn over this squad and get a lot of high earners out and bring that uh, and bring the, the wage bill and everything else down, which is going to have to happen because of the fact that there are, is no parachute payments after, after this season. And the fact that there will still be a lot of players on decent money, there is a big, big job to be done. And I think as fans, we are going to have to be patient and reduce our expectations. And let's be honest, if Carlos Corbran comes in and takes us clear of relegation, i.e. keeps us up comfortably, you've got to say the guy's done a brilliant job, even if we don't even get a, any, a little cheeky sniff anywhere near those playoffs. Even if, it, if that's the case, you've got to say he's done a brilliant job there. So I hope he's in by the time you're listening to this. All power to him. And let's hope that we can start the resurgence against Sheffield United on the weekend. Obviously, we will record after that Sheffield United game. Um, we will come back to you then, even even though there is the Blackpool game to come swiftly after it. But we'll come back to you after, after the Sheffield United game and hopefully be able to talk about a new look Albion, maybe even maybe even a little bit of a mini resurgence with a with a result in that game. You live in hope. It's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that sustains you, whichever way you want to look at it. But until then, that's all from myself and Pete. Thanks very much for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.